Gaming NBS episode 102. Welcome to Gaming NBS, sponsored by GameholeCon, gaming convention coming to us in Madison in November. Get your ass to GameholeCon. Visit GameholeCon.com for more information. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad to have you here. Yeah. Woot woot. Damn nice day today, Sean. It was like gorgeous outside. Beautiful. It was nice. Got the old bow out, did some archery in the backyard with the kids. Felt good. It was nice. You were playing Robin Hood. A little bit. A little bit. Working uh, working out some frustration. Put a couple character sheets up, punched some holes through them. I think I'm ready. I think I'm getting ready. A little GM prep work, you know? Yeah. So shall we just dive into it? We got a couple long encounters later. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Uh, announcements, some quick ones. <coughs> Excuse me, a couple reminders, I should say, up front. Actually, shit, all these are reminders. Uh, Evercon.org. It's in January next year. Start your gaming year off right. Come run some games for us. Head out to the website. Get some games in. I'm hoping to get Sean and a few other people to come. We got Ken Height showing up. Um, we've got artists. We've got uh, all sorts of cool people going to be there. It'll be fun. Please show. It'll be a blast. Uh, game Hole. If you're flying into Madison, do you need the Gaming NBS Uber? Well, Sean P. Kelly can uh, hook you up. Sean, tell them more about that service you're offering. If you are coming to Gamehole Con in November and you show up on Thursday into Madison Airport and need a ride, contact Sean Kelly of Gaming NBS and he will come out to you, pick you up, and take you to your hotel. That's right, but he will need ample notice of when you're coming in. Sorry, Thursday or Friday, Wednesday may not apply. We we actually picked up somebody last year, and uh, he was uh, he didn't have nearly enough pocket change when we shook him down. So if you do take advantage of the Uber, I would appreciate it if you would carry larger bills. That would be nice. Um, the gaming BS patron, we're going to be doing some updates on that. Sean and I had a little breakfast powwow on Saturday yesterday, and talked about some different ideas, changing levels, putting some different um, uh, kind of rewards out there. So that's coming soon. Don't have all the details yet, but we threw out some pretty cool stuff back and forth, I think. And as a reminder, if you are in the Buffalo, New York area, Queen City Conquest is coming in September. I am on my way there. I've got uh, Mr. the wonderful Mr. Chris Sneezak of Misdirected Mark fame has offered to give me a place to crash. I've got he and Phil Vecchione and Bob Everson and a host of really cool folks out there. And uh, gonna be out there gaming, hanging out, having some fun. That's September 9th through September 11th. Uh, go to their website in the show notes, of course, queencityconquest.com. Sweet. I think that's about it for announcements, man. Excellent. Let's get into random encounter. Do it. Random encounter. Should I? I'm not even gonna tell you what it is. Like, it's just random encounter. And if you don't know after 100 episodes, Start at one and work your way forward, and That's you'll get right. the gist of it. That's right. All right. I'm going to take the first one because the next one feels like I've, I've pre-read the second one, and I need to steal myself. I've got an extra beer here in front of me just so I can get through that one because it's, uh, I think I think the uh, Mr. Carruthers in the next one is going right for the throat on the old Brettster. So anyway, start off with something a little more friendly. Angela Murray emails us and says, hey, guys, first off, belated congratulations on hitting 100 episodes. 
I feel like a dumbass for having missed any congratulations ahead of time, but Gen Con and buying a house ate my brain. Whoa, good Lord, girl. That's a lot. <laughs> Gen Con planning and buying a house at the same time? Uh, yeah, absolutely forgiven. Thank you for saying nice things, though. Um, she says, no excuses, though. You guys are awesome and deserve the accolades. This is a great show, and I hope it keeps going for a long while to come. Second, I did, ha- did have a thought, shocking, I know, on the la- latest episode. When it comes down to it, I don't think prep or improv has much to do with whether or not a GM is good. Good GMs, regardless of their prep or play style, do two things. They bring the world of the game to life, making a living, breathing place. Then they make the players feel like their PCs matter in that world. I played both good and bad games with GMs at Winget and GMs at prep all day, every day. <clears throat> in fact, I actually experienced the hurting cat syndrome happen in either games. It's just that the improv GM is like a high-practice squirrel running all over the yard trying to keep up with the players doing it, going in different directions, while the prep GM is steadily losing their cool as they try and shove the players back onto the plot train. Woo, train! Train! Did somebody say train? train? Someone said train. There we go. Angela goes on and says, Prep GMs can lose their player engagement by being too strongly tied to their version of what the plot should be, regardless of who the PCs are. While improv GMs can lose that engagement by not bringing any consistency or relevance into the sandbox their players are messing around in. Ultimately, whatever style the GM has, it makes me feel like my character is a living, breathing part of the game world, and I really need to know what happens next. They're doing it right. Again, thanks for putting out such an awesome show each week. Angela, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yes, Angela. All right. I think I think you feel good there. She said some nice things. Why don't you uh, read what Mr. Crowther says to, to say, To my face! He's coming for me. I can feel it. James Carruthers emails us, Hi, Sean and Brett. As always, I love your banter. Uh, he's trying to soften me up. He's softening me up. Oftentimes, I'm totally content to listen and hopefully pick up a few gems from whatever the discussion of the week is. But sometimes, while I'm listening, I just want to jump into the conversation and say, Hey, dumbass, with all due respect, what about this? This and this. Screw the Rules was one of those episodes. Oh, well, here it is. I figured we'd have at least one listener want to punch me dead in the face. Here we go. Please, A, please don't take this as criticism. I just really enjoyed this topic, and it made me want to participate. See, Brett, I'm on here to goad listeners like James. Okay, all right. Because if we're like, hey, it's Kumbaya on here, and everything we say makes sense, then everybody's kind of like, yeah. It's all good, man. Cool. I don't even know why I'm listening to these guys because, well, I just agree with them all the time. Nice. All right. Keep going. All right. Siri. Okay. So, uh, Brett said, I don't want to fuck up the game by slowing it down to look up a rule. Seriously? How about I don't want to fuck up a game by getting the rules wrong? Hmm. 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 I think this discussion would have greatly benefited from a little organization into a few key categories. For I think ex- that could be said of most of our shows. True. Actually, <laughs> I think actually that's that, a that's a that's a fair critical assessment of every of about 101 shows. So that's pretty good. That, pretty good. That's <laughs> James has got it. Bam. Boom in for, my face. For example, 
the difference between omitting a rule because it's a group decision versus omitting a rule on the fly as an edict of rule zero. Plus, I think table management would have been an important subcategory to help this discussion, as well as the question, what are the consequences of omitting a rule? Okay. All right. Okay. Do you want to address any of that right now? No, I think um, my statement of I don't want to slow it down by looking up a rule, I still stand by that because that's why I feel I don't really care if I get the rule wrong, which is why I'm more than happy to have a table rule made on, on the fly between the players and I. I would rather do that sometimes. At least that tends to be a thing in my past or current gaming approach. So, okay, good stuff. No, I, I like this. This makes sense. So Sean opened the discussion by insisting that Brett answer the question, why would you omit a rule? In answer, I would love to have heard Brett say, well, there are a few things to consider. One, group buy-in on throwing out a rule versus an on-the-fly rule zero call by the DM. Or two, using table management tactics to handle rules, lookups before just glossing it over or throwing it out. And three, the consequences of foregoing the rules. For here's what I mean. I think James needs to write our show notes. He does. He's he's way more organized than we are. Anyway, no that that makes sense. I like that. I think had we busted out like this, that may have helped a bit. So yes. he's got he has examples. He does. Here's what he means: group decision versus rule zero. This is an important distinction because it has to do with managing expectations. If someone builds a super athletic character and at a key moment says. The villain did what? Okay, I grab him. Grappling has begun, and Brett freezes in terror. I wouldn't say in terror. More Brett, of a Brett never freezes. Of hair. Brett never freezes in terror. No, it's more of a wailing and gnashing of teeth and a rending of my garments. Yes. So the grappling rules get set aside, even though being able to grab and pin someone is integral to the way the player built their character. Okay. Ah. Uh, okay. Now, I would say that if the player built their character around the grappling piece, it would behoove the player to actually know those rules. Yeah, I would expect in that case, and this is a good this is a good point. In that case, one of the pieces we touched on, you know, what the player could or maybe should bring to a table. We talked about this back in episode 50 when we had Phil and Chris on, is that if you're going to have a a character that specializes in a certain thing, in this case, grappling, you damn well better know the grappling rules as a player. If you're going to specialize in it, I'm expecting you as the player to know that, which gets into the group decision component, right? If you know the grappling rules better than Brett does, uh, that's totally cool. You're, you're more than happy. Step up, speak up, and we can go right through it. Right. Keep going. Did they know Brett would merely hand wave their grappling opportunities or gloss over them when they made their character? Again, if it was on the player that would be, in my opinion, a boot point. But I see where he's coming from. All right. Absolutely. No, his point His point is valid. His yeah. point is valid. Think of it this way. If someone were to cast a spell, Time Stop, for example, assuming it's a rarely used spell in your games as it is in mine, would you rule zero it and just narr- narrate its result off the top of your head? No. So my answer would be no, but I would expect the person that's going to cast it to have the PHB open reading it. Like, yep, which is, wh- as he says, would yeah. you ask the player to look it up, resolve the scene? Exactly, yes. 
So I know what I do. He says, in my humble opinion, the spell book is there for a reason. And we bring our books to the table each game session for a reason. So I think, you know, right, right there, that is an ex- excellent example. And yes. that is going to stick in my head going forward, right? Is instead of a group decision, rule zero, something along those lines, just saying, nah, I don't want to do it. If you look at it and say, what would happen if they cast a spell no one understood? We'd look up the spell. Why is this any different than looking up a spell? Just because grappling, quote unquote, stops the action, it's no different than time stop stopping the action. I don't know what the fuck time stop does either. I'd have to look it up. So yeah, okay, no, I get it. That's right. uh, that is a very yep. good analogy. Yeah, that's very good. I like that. Table management. So this is number two point. Table management. Brett seems to have very serious concerns about slowing down the pace of play by looking up a rule. So he plays the rule zero card regardless of whether or not the actual written rule is good or bad. That's because I'm better than the rules. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, right. Yes. Um, anyways. Uh, instead, the decision to go with rule zero seems to pivot merely on whether or not Brett himself knows the rule. Brett also seemed to feel that looking up a rule necessarily freezes the whole table, to which I would cry, Fie, that is almost never necessary. I think this can be unfortunate to sacrifice rules for the sake of flow. See consequences below, because I think it can be fairly easily handled with good table management so that neither the flow nor the rules need to be compromised. Do you want me to go into his example or do we want to come? No, go do it. Go do the example. For example, the characters in my game recently ended up fighting underwater. Off the top of my head, I was pretty sure that tridents, daggers, and short swords would work fine, but I couldn't remember how it affected other weapons, uh, ranged weapons, and spells. All I had to do was ask one of my players, whose turn had just completed, so he had a few minutes of downtime until the round of action would circle back to him, to look it up while I kept things moving by making a quick, temporary rule zero call if needed. Or, even better, just move the spotlight to another PC to say, okay, while he's doing that, what do you do from your position on the quay? In quite short order, the rules looker-upper had his finger on it. FYI, the table of contents and indexes do actually work. That does make sense. We talked about this at the, we had some different feedback last episode in 101. We had some other feedback on this that we got into. And I think actually a little bit, anyway, we had another listener come in around the same thing. And I have admitted and and stated before, my buddy Alpha is our our table rules lawyer. If you need to know a rule and Alpha doesn't know it, somebody's looking it up usually. Um, I get, I get what he's saying here. This, this totally makes sense. I think that I probably came off overly heavy handed but I do, um, and again, this is a Brett perception. Like, I don't like slowing down the table. And what's goofy is it's probably a Brett-imposed feeling, reaction, and no one else gives a shit. At the table, no one else may care because, like, hey, look, it's part of the game. Sometimes you got to look up a rule. But for whatever reason, in my thick head is I don't want to do that. There's something that's making me not want to do it. Which, and if... um. I'm thinking about um, what Phil or Chris would say. Maybe this is a play better games, damn it, scenario where, like, look, you know, if there is there a rule set that would be better for Brett for that style of play, or do I need to change my style of game mastering, or just the way the little roadblock in Brett's head? So, anyway, this is good stuff to think about. I like this. So, this I have a question for you, Brett. Shoot, if if you run into this situation in this scenario, or or when you do or have, 
do you find out what the rule is and then incorporate it moving forward? Or is it kind of like when it comes up again, either somebody else will look it up and have knowledge of that. So I guess the question is, is it, what is your habit in, uh, oh, cause sometimes it's like, okay, great. I don't know that rule. We're going to move on now. And then at the end of the session, I will look it up and then moving forward, it'll be that. Correct. Is that how you roll? That's how we've been doing it more and more lately. Yes. Okay. And I, it's, it's, it's safer. It's safer. In fact, it's actually less disruptive than me kneecapping somebody who, um, dares to question my judgment. I found it's a little bit nicer. I get more players at the table this way. Well, yeah, there is something to be said about <laughs> keeping players, I guess. I mean, I guess, you know, no, seriously though, you're, you're right. You're dead on Sean. So what'll happen is we ran into a rule God, I can't remember what it was a while back and Alpha were playing Pathfinder, and Alpha went, oh, shit, I think we're doing that wrong. He couldn't find it. Everyone was like, it was this really tense action moment, and I said, Alpha, I'm thinking it should be X and Y and Z. How about this math equation? We all went, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go with it. After it was done, we took a break, and we looked it up, went, oh, we were close, close, but not quite. It should have ran like this. You know what, though? The Yeah, it worked. It was fine. Let's just do this going forward, and that's what we did. I agree with James. Like I, I tend if it doesn't affect uh, the consequences, the turn order, what somebody else's action may do to the next person in initiative in a standard initiative type of game, I will I will skip somebody as they look up a rule that may apply to somebody else or apply to what their situation is, and once they got that, I come back to them. Makes sense, right? And this could all just because I have a short attention span when it comes to this stuff. I want to keep going on my well, roll, and I don't want to all stop. Ki- there's all kinds of reasons, Brett, for you. That's and that's cool. There's many. I have many issues, many and varied. Right. The list. The list is extensive. I could give it to you alphabetically or chronologically. Yes. Anyway, carry on. Consequences of omitting a rule. This is the last one. Grappling can be an awesome, non-lethal way of managing or engaging or even averting lethal combat which, especially in D&D, is a rare alternative, let's face it. Plus, it can lead to so much wackiness and fun when the shambling mound, or whatever, just rears up out of the water, grabs the wizard, and begins trudging off into the swamp at full speed while the rest of the party tries to chase after at half speed through the swampy terrain. Oh, wait, did I just say chase? So the consequences of omitting this rule are tremendous. It could seriously detract from a PC's build and style and so many alternative combat scenarios would be missed. Brett, seriously, you need to overcome your fear of grappling rules. Try 5e's version, super easy, adding a whole new category of fun. Eh, I'm not afraid of them. I just don't like them. I mean, I just read the Cypher Systems grappling grappling rules. Fuck, that's that's the way to go right there. Brett is not Boom. afraid of anything. <laughs> that's, well, that's not true. He's There's never, a couple things. He's if never you, going if you if you corner my wife, she'll tell you a few things. But anyhow, um, I get it. I think the, I think a lot of this comes down to take a second, look it up, use the spell analogy that James used at the beginning. What would happen if someone cast a spell no one had used before, or that you didn't quite remember? Right. You'd look it up, wouldn't you? Yes, you would. Of course, you would. Well, damn it, use the same. It takes five seconds to do that. It takes five seconds to verify grappling. Not that big a deal. Now. In all fairness to Brett, I don't know, I don't know why I'm defending this guy, but <laughs> bear with me, James. Nice. nice. If Brett is 
because we're hung up on Brett being the GM, rule zero, a rule is going to slow down the game. Brett wants to expedite it and keep things moving and everybody within kind of what is going on right at that time. And by looking up the rule, Brett, you can correct me because I'm speaking for you, but looking up the rule would break immersion. Right. Yeah, it break it, in that scene, that moment. Right. Everyone, your your blood is up. It's tense. It's in. It's fun. Action is happening. Action's going and moving. Well, that's not to say. Yeah. That's not to say that the way Brett handles it is. Yes, it may not be the rule as written, but that's not to say that the way Brett handles it isn't going to facilitate what James is kind of outlining. I think that's, I mean, that's one of the pieces, right? Because the unfortunate part here is that if James were on the show with us right now, we're sitting at a table. Yeah, where are you, James? Hey, James, where are you, buddy? <laughs> huh? What's up? Come on. But if but if we were at, kidding. if we we're at Game Hole or we're sitting at a bar and we're talking and James would be like, Brad, dude, whoa, 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 the fuck, man? What about? And half of this back and forth, I'm pretty sure right. by the halfway through this conversation, we'd be on the same page. I love the, the spell analogy he's got is just perfect. That's really yeah. ringing true to me right now. Yeah. And this I think, I, I think that's fair, right? It's, it's a very hard conversation to have when we spout our BS listener wants to strangle their podcatcher. They yeah. write in, we comment back. So it is very kind of ping pong, but regardless, we'll, we'll move on. This is good. Here is another one with consequences that you guys touched on attunement. Attunement is meant to lead to important and meaningful character decisions because you can only attune to three items at once. All the magic items in the DMG are listed in alphabetical order, and it says in the first line of the description of each item whether or not it requires attunement. Get the player to look it up. Yep, I threw out the attunement component as a, fuck you, Sean, what are the rules for attunement? You think you're so smart. That's kind of what I did. I wish I would have just, like, (laughs) shit that, like... Here, it I just can tell you. I just looked it up like two that, seconds that'd ago. Be, that'd yeah. be funny as hell. I've had but to I do get that it. Three that, that's or four a, times now. That's another. That's another good point. I mean, if if you're like, look, you need to attune to it. It's your device, um, Sean. Go look it up. Look up what it takes to attune to that sword. Well, oh, okay. again, if nothing else, you you have a desire to do it because you want the sword, you want the necklace, you want the wand, you want the thing. Look it up. Yeah. Here's the book. All right. Um, so here's a, yet another one you guys touched on, which could have interesting consequences encumbrance with this one. I would have enjoyed hearing your debate on the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, because again, the rule could be categorically thrown out without a second thought by simply declaring that it's just meaningless bookkeeping. However, I would argue that at least some measure of adoption of encumbrance rule can also lead to important and meaningful character decisions, which I think we've touched on, right? I, I've brought that up in the past. We like, absolutely have. We we yeah. have brought up in the past, and it's it's totally it's it's the only way. Maybe how do you want to play? What do you want to do? Right? Do you want to yeah. have encumbrance tied to a story piece? Like, hey, it's really important whether you're, you know you're carrying a thousand pounds or not, and what does that lead to? Like, if you're not yep. gonna rid smogs treasure and you're gonna yep. start wheeling in mining carts right correct um important meaningful character decisions such as okay so your halfling thief is mortally wounded you drop that heavy treasure chest here in the crypt in order to pick up your friend and carrying them out perfect example because you can't carry them both yeah i'm all about yeah give them hard choices 
And it forces PCs to make slightly more mundane, but also interesting choices like they can't carry around plate armor for big fights, leather armor for sneaking around, court suits for political encounters, winter clothing and camping supplies, and four weeks of food and water and other adventuring gear without a mule or something. I mean, come on, make a few decisions about your character's style and priorities. You can't carry around everything in the PHB uh, weapons, armor, and equipment lists. Even these mundane decisions help shape who your character is so you, you don't just throw out the rule without considering the consequences. So I'm, I, I, so encumbrance and directly addressing James. If it gets too crazy out of hand, uh, I as a GM would put the hammer down. Like, no, you are not going to, like, this is a, a ton of gold and you have this or you have a plate plate armor. Are you wearing it? No, you're not wearing it. Tell me when you're wearing it. Like there's a lot of questions that have to go back and forth for those that are trying to kind of pull bullshit, I guess. Well, and the other, this is similar to the, you know, communication, communication, communication thing that Sean and I, and every other, you know, anybody spouting advice or theories of advice is that, you know, look, this is how I'm going to deal with encumbrance in this game. Y'all can do essentially quote unquote, whatever you want, but it don't let it get stupid. An example is X, Y, and Z. Oh, I get that. That's okay. So I do the, the important piece here is the considering the consequences, right? So even when Brett throws the towel and says, fuck it, no grappling tonight. I don't understand those rules. I didn't take a chance. To look it up. Nobody can find them right now. Fuck it. Let's make it two die rolls and move on. Great. Done. Somebody should go look it up, understand it, or at least bookmark the damn thing. So next time it happens, we know where to go. Yeah. Because that, that way, we may have made one mistake, but we don't want to continue to make the same mistake and, you know, damn the consequences because that's not good. Another consequence is the potential to lose consistency, which can lead to imbalance or a lack of fairness. Woo, that's just what I was touching on. Good stuff. But this is perhaps where I have to admit my own hangups. My fear is that if I wing it this time, then a few sessions later, when the same circumstance comes up again, will I rule it the same way again? Will I remember what I did last time? In my experience, I have forgotten prior rulings and flip-flopped on my calls, so that's why getting a player to look up the rule is important to me. I just can't trust myself to be consistent next time. As always, thank you for an awesome podcast. Your faithful listener, James Carruthers, Vancouver, BC. Well, let's see, James, that's why I have a mind like a steel trap. It's rusty and corroded, but by God, it's still steel. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good point, right? Is that when you, certain rules... Um, if you're playing D and D as I am wont to do, and you have a way around grappling, you're like, okay, this is what we're doing. Everyone goes, oh, in Brett's group, we've been playing with Brett for 20 plus years. We understand how he goes around grappling. Fine. Well, then along comes Chad and Austin, and they haven't played with Brett for 20 years and they want to grapple somebody. And Brett goes, yes, do this thing. And they go, the fuck do you mean? Do this thing. We have rules there. I, I know these rules says Austin and Brett tries to go around it and everything else, then, well, that's just silly. We have somebody who knows the actual rule. You should use it. Um, <clears throat> I pride myself. I have been very consistent in the house rule, the zero rule, the thing we've had to do, I've had to do to keep things moving. Um, and part of that is because in most cases, it's, um, you know, made it up, winged it once, winged it twice. Fuck it. Somebody look that up. We're not doing this again. Okay. That's what it is. This is the rule. Go forward. Uh, or somebody looks it up off offline or whatever. So that 
that's why I think it the consistency tends to be there because it doesn't go very long. Um, I've not had anybody ever build a grappling character, so I've never really had to deal with that in like a D&D game. But James, these are all good, dude. I gave you a little shit for coming at me, but man, this is good stuff. Like I said, I wish... I hope at some point, James, you, Sean, and I get a chance to sit down at a con, grab a beer, a coffee, or something, and just and talk through this stuff. Because this is where, like, like Sean said, you know, we're kind of ping-ponging it back and forth. We said something a couple episodes ago. Boom, James hits a line drive over the net. I'm trying to bump it back up, saying, well, actually, what I meant was it's that's hard to do. And, James, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is well thought out. And uh, I love the spell analogy. This is uh, That's really good. That is really, really sticking in my brain right now. I love that. And, that, a, very, and a very well-written email. Like, I could yeah. read it, and it actually had good grammar and punctuation and everything. So Yeah, very nice. Very refreshing to read. Thanks so much for writing in. And now we will continue to try to come up with another topic that will actually get under your skin and piss you off. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I've got a knack for it. It takes me about 100 episodes, but I'm going to get James again. <laughs> Continuing on. All right. Chris Steele says, hey guys, just wanted to send you a quick note and say congratulations on 100 episodes. Huge accomplishment, and I really enjoyed the topic. Like Sean, <coughs> excuse me, like Sean, I got out of gaming in college and ended up rediscovering it about seven years ago. It took about a 15-year break. Can't imagine stopping again. Although I do from time to time, take small breaks to let the creative energy recharge. During those times, you can find me um, binging on the newest board games where the rules are more concrete and they don't have to worry about what comes next, since I'm always the DM when we play RPGs. Side note, I'm really looking forward to GameholeCon. Grab me a beer with the gaming BSers and talking games live. That'll be so cool, Chris. Um, I'm also running a game under your banner, Savage Worlds Fantasy. I'll be happy to chat about it for your mini BS episode. Just let me know. Keep up the great podcasting and still waiting for an episode on Diceless Games. It's coming, Chris. I've got that in the hopper. I think I might have to pull in some assistance because Sean has never run nor played Diceless before. So I might have to pull in a little, little assistance to fill in the gaps. Yeah, and Chris, I will contact you about recording something. And thank you so much for for opting to run under our banner um, and lowering the standard of your GMing uh, to to fit into. Yeah, because people are expecting to. There's yeah. either a train or a crazy whatever wing it sandbox. So apparently, you're going to do one of those two. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It'll be good to be you, good to have you, you there. You can man. only up our standard. Exactly. Right. We can only we can only be better by proximity to game game masters other than ourselves. We are soliciting game masters so that it actually makes us look better. Oh hell yeah. yeah. Just by proximity. Right. I'll read uh, the next one since you had the real long one there. Feel free, dude. Matt Martinez about episode one oh one at what cost. I can't hear talk about player agency anymore without thinking about a guy in one of the Facebook groups I joined who has very specific ideas about player agency and immersion. And any game that doesn't follow his philosophy for those things is objectively bad. Well, of course, right. <laughs> of yes, course, of yes. course. Well, yeah. This can include things like character classes because he finds them too limiting, metagame mechanics like fate aspects because they force the player to think outside his character's point of view, and more specifically Star Wars, Edge of the Empire's custom dice because he feels the advantage is in threats, limit player agency. The fuck? Sorry, my aside there. <laughs> <laughs> because they place limitations on the outcomes of their roles. He may have points in some of these, but the vehemence of his opinions makes his justifications feel more like rationalizations, as if he can't just say, I really don't care for this, and have done with it. I'll tell you what, Matt, that is um, that's probably one of my single pet peeves in any of the communities I've seen on Google+, Plus or, 
or Facebook or <laughs> even at gaming convention, you're talking to somebody and they have this weird roundabout rationalization why they think this thing you love is dumber than hell. And you're like, so yeah, but I like it. Like, well, yeah, I guess if it's your thing. Well, that's that's all you really had to say was that piece. Like, I don't like that game. Why, man? I just don't like the funky dice. I don't like the the way it does the the results or whatever. It just does. It's just not for me, man. Oh, okay, cool. Carry on. That that's, is that's that's, that's really yeah. all you have to do. You don't have to tell everybody that they that they're stupid and wrong or make them feel bad, right? Because they're playing a game you don't like. Come on, nerds. Like we need to get over ourselves and just be who we are and have our opinions. Nothing wrong with that, but let's not, let's not fricking hammer on our, each other's heads, man. Like we got to come together on it and say, Hey, that's not my, that's not my thing, man. That's not, I don't like to roll that way. And that's cool. But to tell somebody like, Oh, you know, this is what's completely wrong with it. And it totally sucks. And it's like, the shittiest game made and all this other crap has got to go. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Go. I don't appreciate it. Yeah. But thanks so much for the comment, uh, Matt on G plus much appreciated. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into the topic, man. Let's do it. Episode 102 main topic, Brett. Yeah, I want to talk about gaming away from the table. This is um, something that I had in the hopper for a while, and of course, Monty Cook's new um, Invisible Sun Kickstarter. I don't. We're not going to talk about the cost because I could give two shits whether or not you think it's expensive or not. I mean, if you don't want to do it, you don't want to play for pay for it. Don't pay for it. It's whatever. What I'm more interested. Well, having in, hold on a second, Brett. Sorry, having well, said you're going to complain because I just told you I don't give two shits about your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> having said that, did you kick in? Did I? I don't know, and um, that's you don't I think know if you dis- kicked in. No, I don't know if I'm going to. Oh, I, I would totally know if I spent two hundred dollars. I, I was going to totally say, know. yeah, if I spent one hundred ninety-seven dollars or whatever it is, I would totally know if I did that. So you've not done well, it to the, this point, not to this point. I see. So one of the things that he brings up in there when you read through it is this concept of metagaming. I mean, this is like <clears throat> metagaming in the pure sense. It's gaming away from the table. Or it's any, you know, where I've stated before, uh, you know, the truth is at the table. It's that concept of gaming off the table, one-off sessions with people. Um, there's there's going to be an app, an app for Android and iOS and so forth. I believe it's a web app based on the Kickstarter and how you can have side scenes with you and the Game Master and different ways to interact with the game um, to keep it going when you're not at the actual gaming session. And part of it comes down to, you know, people can't, if you listen to, um, I'll keep pimping Chris Nizak's really good interview on this director, Mark in the Lounge. He talked to Monty Cook not that long ago. And uh, if you get a chance, get out there, grab that, listen to it. Monty goes through the why. So if you want to know why he's doing it and so forth. However, what I want to talk about now was I've had experiences doing this in a less sophisticated manner, you know, over the years with my group. Uh, and I don't know if Sean has had any of this type of experiences or not. The only thing that kind of, uh, I want to talk about some of the cool, cool stuff and some of the things I think might be hard and, or make the game that type of gaming, something I may want, but I just don't think I can do anymore. Make sense, Sean? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Totally, (laughs) totally makes sense. So Sean, have you had any experience with that gaming away from the tables type of stuff? Um, the one example that I would say is gaming away from the table would be potentially a play by post, which is kind of not at a table anyways, 
um, which may be on one end of the scale and not necessarily. But that was so you didn't have an actual table game plus a play by post because this is that is a good we're talking point. about it. You know, this is you know your regular table game plus, and we're talking about the plus component to it. So I have not run that. I have been a part of that. What type of uh, what type of game was it? Was it like a D and D game? Yeah, or it was a D and D game. Buddy of mine was running. Go to the table. Blah 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 blah. Break. Not going to play for a little while. He writes up a bunch of the story and what may be going on with my character from the actual break of play to the next session. So even from one session to the next, writing up, here's what happens, who you run into. Um, Did, were you able to interact with them, like over email type of thing? or? Uh, yeah. I mean, we could interact. Well, we didn't do it quite that way. Like, it wasn't more transactional back and forth. Although, okay. although uh, I'm trying to think if that has occurred to me in the past. I don't know. Uh, I think I, I got to say somewhere I've run into that where it's, Tell me what's going on during your break. Tell me what your character is doing or wanting to do. So maybe it's like, hey, I'm a magic user. I research X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. Sounds good. This is the result of that. Come back to the table. Pick up where we leave off, left off. Fair enough. This started for me when I first when I first ran um, with my core group, the guys I've been with for 20 plus years. We would play Vampire, the World of Darkness stuff constantly. And it was every week for the longest time. Then I moved down to Madison for school. I transferred colleges down here. And I can only get back up once a month. I'm a college kid. I can't afford to go home that often. Once a month is it. So everyone's starting to get email. We're starting to get into this whole technology thing. <clears throat> I said, guess what, guys? We just called it downtime. At the end of a session, so we go, do we get any downtime between here and the next time? Yes, everyone has two weeks worth of stuff you can try to do. If you want to do something, players, email me what it is you're trying to accomplish. I had a raft of emails from the 12, 13 different people, whomever was playing, would say, hey, I want to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I would say, okay, you try to get this far, this happens. It was almost like a play-by-post in a way where they would respond to me, then I would respond back to them. We'd have a little back and forth, say, okay, this is a good place. We'll pick this up in the next game. So we'd do that over email quite often. Um, the It never really, <clears throat> it didn't take on a life of its own. It was always, it was downtime stuff when you got back. The really cool shit always happened at the table. It was all very sidebar-y type of activity. I had time. <laughs> you know, I wasn't married, no kids, no dog, no real job, just college and a part-time job. So your brain could be thinking about gaming and focus on that, and you could just do that. You could no, just say, I'm going to stay up till 4 in the morning and you know write responses to people. No adulting. No adulting. <laughs> adulting sucks. It's totally hard. <clears throat> Excuse me. When it really got crazier, I mean, that type of uh, downtime is essentially a standard that I haven't. We used to do it a lot in my group, but it's kind of we've gotten away from it, partly because of adulting gets in the way. When it really went crazy, though, <clears throat> was the first Amber game I ran. Uh, speaking of diceless stuff um, from our listener before, um, <clears throat> when we were talking about when we got into that, everyone except for a couple different folks was active on email at the time. And a couple of people who just flat weren't, they just never checked them, didn't get into it. And they said, hey, can we do the downtime thing? I said, sure, absolutely. You guys can talk to each other if you like. You can do all sorts of stuff. And these are, <clears throat> excuse me, these are the downtime parameters, rules that we'd had in the group for a very long time. It just fucking took off because the nature of Amber, no dice, 
the adjudication was something that they kind of figured out and picked up on their own. They were cutting and wheeling and dealing and doing and making things happen. I would get an email that says, hey, Brett, how long would it take for me to get, you know, 15 white tigers that are as strong as a Tyrannosaurus Rex? I'm like, um, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, if you walk through shadow, you can do blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Those are the type, I would get these weird, thanks, that's all I needed. And then, the, okay. And they were off and running, just totally metagame between each other. And other people come to me and say, hey, um, I'm in this situation. You need to talk to this person. Bam, bam, bam. That game, in real lifetime, had we not done that, would probably taken me six to nine months in real life of one-month sessions to get hold of. We did it in about four months and half the time easily because all the metagame stuff was <clears throat> real, honest-to-God, story-moving, shaking, changing type of activity that happened. So we would come to the game. Everyone was already had gamed, right? Most of the people had already played. The downside, and this is kind of uh, touchy on that, was the couple guys who weren't into the email were totally left out. They were like sessions and sessions behind because for 20 days or whatever between each game, these other guys were going bam, bam, bam. These men and women were just boom, 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 back and forth with data and we're gaming and we're doing and poor Chris, the one guy we were gaming with, he 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 just wasn't able to keep up. He did not know what the fuck was going on, and it was a very disappointing game for him. The people that were into it loved it, just loved the hell out of it. But I had two, three other people that weren't able to get into it, and uh, that's kind of where we had to break that off because you couldn't have that type of meta off-table gaming and be fair to everybody because not everybody could get into it, at least the team we had at the time. The other one I had that strikes me when I thought back about this is Lenny and Beta. The characters were kind of at each other's throats doing different things. And Lenny gets a letter. He was living in Minnesota at the time. He gets a physical letter in the mail addressed to his character from Beta's character. The whole thing is written in character. He goes through it, reads it, reads it, reads it. At the bottom of it says, oh, P.S., this, is con- this entire thing has been contact poisoned. I hope you know how to make a will save or whatever it was. And that was it. And Lenny's like, motherfucker. <laughs> so I get an email that says, hey, Brett, this just happened to me. What what ha- what, what, I, what I have to roll or what I have to do? It was kind of crazy. They took that on themselves to do that. I didn't encourage or make them do it. There was just what, something they wanted to do. For was, Lenny, was Lenny okay? I, well, he's okay. He's got a little, his hands a little kind of curled up now from it, but he seems oh my, all right. My God. Yeah. I mean, you can only take so much cyanide. Um, before it, something's going to happen. It's bit. crazy. Again, we don't promote killing players. Promote? Suggest? <laughs> Two different words. Don't we, totally under, different we understand words. it, though. <laughs> we understand it. So I told you that story, uh, and those stories, I should say. It's fun. It was a ton of fun. Um, And there was, there was this wonderful piece that when I was at the day job, I didn't have kids at this time, and you're working... And you get a second, you could check your email, and you could jump right back into the game. That idea of you're never <clears throat> not able to game in the game that you're really, really loving. There's something that's incredibly cool about it. A lot of the players, they want, they love their character. They want to advance him or her. They want to push different boundaries, do different things. There's something so amazingly cool. It's not, and maybe immersion is is an odd word, and I don't know how to accurately define it per se, or whether it's deep immersion or whatever. But at any moment's notice, they could just kind of turn that switch, you know, click the inbox in your email and say, oh, this is what's going on right now. You could step back into that at any time, which was kind of cool. Sean, what is that? Does that 
does that sound cool to you or does it sound like something like, oh yeah, people do that, but it's not my thing? I think it's cool. The down the um the downtime thing, that's a mechanic in 5e now. Yes, there's a there's an actual mechanic for that in 5e, yeah. Um But that's that's not a role playing mechanic. I mean, not no. a actual face to face talky discussing role playing mechanic. It's a just a die rolly mechanic. Well, it is, but you could Turn it into something a little bit more robusted. Yes, it could be expanded. Um, Absolutely. So I do think it's uh, it's pretty cool, but I also think it can require quite a bit of legwork, and it also depends on the players because some players just show up at the table and they that's that's when they game, and any other time is they don't have enough time to dive into that and write letters to another player and um. So I think it adds an element to the game, but what if only two players are embracing that out of the group? Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's that's kind of why I brought up the Ember story. It was it was amazing how fast the story itself resolved, how they were able to do really cool things, just great events, great story points, great plots and changes and twists and hooks and just awesome shit. But I had three people who were left out. They were not really engaged. And... So I had to kind of re revamp the downtime rule for my group and say, look, we, we can't <clears throat> I can't go that far um without having such and such at the table. Now the people in question at the time no longer are with the group because they've they've moved on and they've moved to different locations and they don't play with us anymore. But even so, it is it's a commitment. It's a level of commitment that the game master and the players both have to pick up. I have tried to do kind of a casual Play by post on Google Plus with Lenny and a couple other guys, Lenny Alpha and Beta, just the four of us were going to do something. And I got to a certain point, work and life took over, and it died. It just, it just, it just died on me. And I look at the concept of the the gaming away from the game, being able to do this and engage with it. And I think, given the current tool set I have, it becomes harder for me to quickly get back into the game and do something. And maybe this app that Monty Cook is looking to build for Invisible Sun is a better tool set. Because right now, my tools are, you know, the the free internet tools, right? I can use a Google Doc. I can use email. I can use communities on G+, or some kind of posting like that. Something along those lines to interact. Or I could do something like like a Skype call. But even that can be pretty time intensive when you don't have when you don't have a lot of it. But I think you're you're dead on that if you have four or five guys at the table and one of them can't, won't, doesn't want to, you know, then either that person doesn't play that game or you need to play a game that they can get into. Cause it, it will it will it will alienate the player who doesn't want to or can't do it. Now I think with Monty's game though, it's the the I think it may be a one on one or an individual thing that they may be able to do. Like I think even Chris's interview might have talked about story development because they, yep. you know, Monty corrected him on, I think it would have been character development and going into more story development. So what does that mean? We're only going to be able to find out when they actually launch it. But I think maybe it's an aspect of the game that allows Sean to, hey, I can't get to the table. I'm going to do something that will advance my character in the story, but not have to rely 
on what's actually happening at the table. Correct. So I am in absence. I'm absent from the table, but if Sean decides to do, you know, take a half hour or 15 minutes to write up something about his character and what they're doing and they get XP or whatever reward mechanism may or may not be involved, then I can see that coming into play. Monty's Kickstarter is a whole other topic. Again, go to Misdirected Mark and listen to Chris interview him. And I think there's still going to be a lot of what does this look like when it's launched? Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, an app, I mean, somebody could say Ingress is gaming. I mean, somebody could role play an Ingress game where you incorporate Ingress into your role playing game and say, okay, you got to go and hack a portal and there's this, these coordinates. And when you do that, you know, let me know or whatever that looks like. I don't know. I think maybe, the other, maybe they're yeah. going there to accomplish something in the game, but they it's on their way to work mm-hmm. and they stop and they take a screenshot of them hacking a portal. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ingress, it's kind of augmented reality. It's before Pokemon Niantic did it. You can go around hacking portals in the real world, well, virtual world, whatever. Well, I think the the other piece that you hit on is the the other thing that Monty mentioned in the interview is around the fact that it's not <clears throat> for the group, right? Right. So what I mean by that is your traditional D and D game where you have a party, you get a fighter, a thief, a cleric, the magic user, and a ranger, and they're all trying to do something, right? Right. Um, down in a dungeon, blah blah blah. <clears throat> this type of gaming, this what I have experienced, like with my Amber game and my World of Darkness games, it doesn't work like that. Amber and World of Darkness. Are, can be very character-driven versus group-driven. You can bring everyone together and say, hey, guess what? All that shit that the six of you have been fucking around with, now Chicago's on fire, the prince is dead, and uh, the sheriff is trying to do blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> you could just you could blow the whole damn city up. Everyone has to come together, which is what I would do periodically. Everyone has to come together, interact with each other, share data, do a thing, and then... Once the big hubbub had been solved, fixed, whatever, they would go back to their individual plot lines. The characters would then div- divide divide up from the group, and then Zave would say, "Okay, I'm going to go back to my <clears throat> to my thing. I'm trying to work on this banking deal." Um, uh, Boyd would say, "Okay, I go back to my art gallery, take care of this other thing," and then they would kind of get, like I said, they would gather, fix the problem, then devolve out or dissolve out. Excuse me, and. It works in those types of uh, settings better. And you have to have a group of people that don't mind having quiet time at the table. Because, and that, that's pro- that's where the downtime helps. And where perhaps this concept of what Monty's trying to do would also help is that <clears throat> if Sean is doing some really cool shit this week and his character and, you know, Phil's character, the two vampires are super engaged with the Prince of the City doing something. But Chris is working a long con somewhere, and his vampire is just kind of working it slowly, slowly. He might not have a lot of activity to do. Um, so he doesn't get a lot of spotlight that game session. Two game sessions later, it's all about Chris and the long con that he finally pulled off. Um, but anyway, I guess where I'm going is your D&D, Dungeon Crawl Classics, Torchbearer, going to go down the dungeon, kill some shit, and then come back out. That's not a really good way to, to at least in my experiences, to do that type of gaming away from the table perspective. Because it can be very difficult, the way I've done it anyway, 
can be very difficult to pull that off because then how do you say, well, okay, you fought 16, you know, rooms into the ancient dwarven mine. Now the group will dissolve and you'll all go out and investigate individually because you'll get killed. You know, you don't want to do that. You're in as a group. The game is designed to be as a group where the games like Vampire and Amber, especially uh, have a player versus player aspect or a player competing with player aspect. And you're able to build character development differently than you do in some of the more traditional games. Kind of rambling there. I'm sorry, Sean. Does that make sense to you? Or Yeah, no, but you could also look at, I mean, some people will play a role-playing game and then for mass combat switch to another game. Now, I don't know if that's away from the table necessarily and fits into the example scenario that you have put forth, Brett, but uh, I know some people will, you know, Star Wars, Edge of the Empire, they may play the role-playing game, and then it's time for starship combat, they may move to the Star Wars miniatures game to resolve that. Well, that I mean, that's another, that's an interesting piece, right? Because if you can't, I like that. That's neat. Because then if you have a ship-to-ship battle and you have a couple people on the ship who have nothing to do with the actual fight, they don't have to be involved in the miniatures battle, right? Right. I just have to know if the ship blows up because I'm the doctor. I don't know how to fix the gun. I can't fire the gun. I can't do shit. That's not my job. I need the pilot, the you know, I need the pilot, the uh, navigator, and the mechanic. <laughs> Somebody tell me if it's working, and then that that's about it. So that's that's another way. I like that. That's kind of interesting. I think the <clears throat> I was gonna say, I, I think the the tool sets that I have right now available to me, as I said limit me perhaps in how I can do it, but maybe I, I, you know, I could get more creative with different tools or letters and emails and blah, blah, blah. But the other thing that really hits me is just time. I look at, we play, I started, we kicked off the, my trailer Cthulhu game for you, Kevin, Wayne and Jim. And, uh, we play every two weeks. I wanted to get some shit done last week for that game and it just didn't happen. A crap day, I had a crappy week at work, and it just didn't flat didn't get done. And I think about looking at a game like Invisible Sun with what might be the the time needed or the intensity of um, time to put into it. Do I have that commitment? Can I can I make such a commitment to my group where I would you know it? I didn't do that for Trailer Cthulhu. I didn't promise you guys, hey, I'm going to do ten different write ups. We'll have these great off stage off table interactions, blah, blah, blah. We didn't set that, that precedent. I thought, Hey, maybe I could do something cool. Just didn't pan out. But if that's the premise of what we want to do, we all really, really want to do it. Cause it sounds super sexy. Cool. And we think this would be fucking great, but man, I don't know if I have the time, you know, between the different components and having to adult, as you said, I just don't, I don't know if I could pull it off anymore. Like I used to just because I don't have the time. Those vampire games, when we would do it, we played every week. Or even when we were every month, it was weeks of downtime would happen. Weeks of emails back and forth, figuring things out. So when we came to the next session every month, it was just locked and loaded and ready to go. Fuck, I can't, I don't think I have the time to do that anymore. And I wonder how much of, you know, this is more speculating on Monty's game, uh, Monty Cook Games game, Invisible Sun, but I wonder how much of it is, maybe it's an app that asks you, you know, I'm the GM, Brett is the player, and I say, Brett is going to be out or missing or whatever and not at the table. And that automatically takes Brett 
to the app on his phone. And then Brett chooses one of three things his character does. And it's already prefabricated, um, made up options. And then that turns into, it turns into a flow chart. Cause I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around. Monty's big thing is he hates to hear people say, I can't play because I don't have enough time. So how do you get people to play, but not spend any time playing? So I think the goal of that, so the, the counterpoint to Brett doesn't have the time, is that I have to have, I have to have a tool that enables me to work better, or I have to better constrain what happens, right? Right. I think you hit something there for me. Like, look, guys, you have three things you could do. <clears throat> go right, go left, go straight, go back. Blam, 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 blam. Something along those lines. Just this X number of options. And instead of a wide open, you can do whatever you want and you can try to do this. You could talk to this guy. That makes it harder and harder. If the options to go out, if I want to do this with my group now, like if I were to say, hey, we're going to fucking do this with the Trail of Cthulhu group. I think this would be awesome. We'll make up some deep immersion. We can do this kind of off table gaming. This would be great. But we need to have boundaries. Like these are the things you can do off, off camera, right? These are the things that Sean can do the same as everybody else can do. These are the type of options you could do kind of to your point of the D and D five E the downtime mechanic, you know, taking that concept and expanding it a little bit limited, perhaps things you can do, but stuff that you could still do that would help propel your character development forward. Instead of it being as it used to be for me back in the old days is what would you like to do? Well, I'm going to run five different long cons and talk to these 16 people and do this other thing and make 10 different phone calls and blah, blah, blah. And then you just sit down and take you two hours to react to an email. Well, I don't have that luxury anymore. You know, with eight, nine guys playing, you don't have the time. I don't have two hours per person to do. So if you limit it, then it doesn't take me two hours to respond to Sean. It takes me five minutes because Sean said, oh, of the four options you gave me, I picked number one. Great. I can provide an answer to number one. Boom, we're done and move on. That way it's a faster back and forth instead of a wide open back and forth. That's a, uh, that is a way I hadn't thought about that, but I like that. That's what I'm here for, man. I know. <laughs> anyway, I didn't, I didn't know if, if this is something that you'd ever done much or if it was even, does this, does this type of immersion into a game, this type of, I want to play even if I'm not at the table. Does that interest you at all? Is that something that you go, Oh my God, I totally want to do that. I, I don't know how Monty's Invisible Sun is going to facilitate it. It does interest me. Well, not not even his, but I mean, is the concept interesting to you? Well, it depends on how it's pulled off. Because <clears throat> if it's something where it's it's different than what we are talking about, then I may be. But I there is always a time component, whether you're a game master or you're you're a player. If you're not at the table and you're wanting to facilitate discussion against you know verse with another player, another non-player character, another player character, then there is a time in, thing involved. And it could be on the player side and the GM side. So I, I've worked in game or had games where you've had that and facilitated it, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think it's good, but I think it's still ambitious. So it's something that's interesting to you, but you'd have to see the mechanism. The mechanics behind it, basically. 
Well, I wouldn't. Right. Just, just to just, I mean, <clears throat> if I, if I was to say, look, f- fuck forgotten son, I'm not ever invisible son. Sorry. I'm not even going to do that. I want to do something similar like I've done before, but I'm going to do it like X. As long as X seemed to be within acceptable parameters, you'd be in for it. Well, you're asking me to make a decision based on stuff I don't know. No, what I'm trying to get you to do is say whether or not you're at all even interested in this concept. I could be. What you've, what you've said is I'm interested if it lo- if it'll work. Well, yeah. Well, who isn't interested well, in something if it works? <laughs> that's true. But I think when we talk about gaming away from the table, so some of the examples mm-hmm. we brought up was like writing a letter to another, pl- you know, player character in character, writing a letter to somebody. It takes time. You could have a forum post that says, "On my downtime, I'm I'm doing X, Y, and Z." If the expectations mm-hmm. are just I'm doing X and Y, and it takes me two minutes to post that. Then sure, maybe, and it's pertinent, and the game master is going to incorporate some of that, or maybe it's just a, hey, I need to know what you're going to do with that stupid thing you collected because it's important to the plot, or you know, me as a GM, I may know that it's cursed, and I just need to know if you still have it, and here's what's happening to you, and it's conveyed to me. Sure, some of that stuff I think is understandable, but if it's like, hey, we're going to have a three month gap, and we're going to play and take this all kind of offline, and we're going to do all this enriched storytelling and character development, it may be like something I'm not wholly wanting to invest in. I don't, I'd rather be at the table because that's kind of what it's about to me, to me. No, fair. You know, so no, that's, that's very fair. That, I, that's a, that's a, sorry, go ahead. I don't know if that answers your question, man. I'm, I'm riding the fence a little bit, but it I does. Think, <clears throat> all right. It helps. <laughs> He's giving me, he's on the video. He's giving me the, the, the fence, the fence motion with his hand there. The big, so, yeah, the big chop. <laughs> so I think, I think it does help because the, the time commitment, the type in not only just the time commitment, but the type of gaming, my preference is at the table. Correct. Right. I, I would much rather be there. Yes. If the game turns into a play by post or a play away from the table game, that's no longer the game I'm really interested in. The core truth that has to happen has to be the truth at the table with with most of the players. I think having perhaps the the opportunity to have again depending on the setting if you're in the middle of a dungeon it's not always easy to just peel a character off and I know there's ways to do it but for the sake of time in uh, my bad magic game it's pretty easy for somebody if Kevin can't make the next game which he can't that's okay there's stuff his character could do Kevin could easily give me a bullet point list of five different things he wants to accomplish while he, while he's, you know, on vacation. Fine. I can, I can work that in. So next time he shows up, I can answer bam, bam, bam. Yes, you got that. No, that didn't work. Um, you got in a fight with this guy, got a black eye, but you know, I could answer those things pretty lickety split, um, without having to invest a lot of time in it. So I think perhaps instead of it necessarily being <clears throat> a very integral part of a gaming system, that you're using with your team or your group, or your whatever you want to call your your crew, it can be a supplemental component. Again, if you're playing um, a part-time Gods of Fate game and one of you can't make it, perhaps a tool you can use is like, look, give me five points, five bulleted things that you want to get done or you want to do or answer these questions for me so that way when you come back to the game next session, I can give you something that you've done and I can continue to help you develop your character and stay engaged in the game. Because part of what happens is somebody misses a game session. 
if they feel that they've missed too much, that they weren't a part of something, yeah, sometimes like, well, get your dumb ass to the game, asshole, then you play. You know, sometimes you just can't help it. Um, family emergency, blah, blah. But if you have something where you, f- you get to come to the game with some knowledge, with a thing that you've accomplished, even though you didn't make it last time, I think it helps to keep the group together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think there was a, I don't know if it was Monty's game. I don't know if it was that or somebody else was talking about kind of this interdimension. It might have been another podcast where it was, if somebody doesn't make it, they go into this other world. I'm pretty sure it's a visible sun. And I can't remember the, the terminology or the world, but they go. And to me, it's like, that's not a bad idea. Some people do the, I think we're getting into another topic, but you know, if you're not there, what happens to your character? Blah. <clears throat> yep. but, but you know, what if, what if you, you phase in to another dimension and it's a completely different world and it impacts nothing of what the storyline is on the prime material plane and then when you come back, what does that mean? Do you know anything? Huh. Maybe you don't know anything because you were literally gone. So maybe it's the players that are in the on the prime material plane to explain to Brett, here's what happened while you were gone and phased out of existence. And now that you're back, and then you're like, how much time went by? And maybe it was just literally an hour, two hours, a day. Yeah. Or maybe it's three years, and this is what has transpired. So I think there's different ways to handle somebody that's absent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just the the whole concept of the gaming away from the table, the the more meta gaming aspects. There have been computer games that have done this, you know, where you've got clues within source code, you've got tons of web pages out there, you've got all this crazy stuff that you can get into. Apart from tearing that apart, saying, "Oh, what about longevity? Can I play the same game in twenty years? What if the websites don't exist?" Without, without getting into those components of it. I just think the the concept is really interesting. It's one of those things that, as a gamer, as one of the alpha gamers, you know, who, who watches the scene, who pays attention to shit, tries to keep track of stuff like all of our listeners do. You know, we're trying to you know sort things out and just see, ooh, this looks cool, and maybe this new thing will be fun. It's a really interesting thing to think about. I don't know if I'm going to end up buying it because I want to see how it's done. I want to see what he does, and then be able to take snippets of it, hack the shit out of it and use it for myself. Or or if I'm going to do it because I'm like, you know, look, I think I could get a, a crew of, you know, four men and women who could really, really get into this so I can do it. Um, regardless, though, I just, the, this concept is really interesting to me because it's one of those pieces to, I, I love gaming. We talked about this in episode 100, right? I wish I could game more. And if, and I gave you shit for it, but you're right, is that the execution is really, really good if there's a way to execute this thing, that's really cool. If it's done well and there's a really good way to ex- that we can execute against it, and I can walk <laughs> instead of I, I, instead of seeing fifty year old men catching Pokemon in the hallways at work, if I could be walking between meetings and playing my RPG instead of catching Pokemon, that'd be fucking cool, right? If I'm sitting in a meeting and it's and people are running fifteen minutes late or I'm bored out of my skull. I'd much rather be able to do that than anything else. That would be pretty cool. I'm telling that to a recruiter right now. So this way when I'm looking for a job, he's like, so what are you doing in your downtime? <laughs> anyway, I guess if anybody else has had experience doing this type of thing, I would be interested to see what you what you learned, what you uh, thought about it, if it worked, if it didn't work for you. If you if if there are better tools 
than email or you know play by post. If there's other options out there that people have used that have worked really well, I'd love to hear about those things because some of the games that I run would really fit that type of gaming well. I just uh, I want to do it. I really want to do it, and I want to do it better. All right, let's get into die roll. Let's do it. Sean's sick of me. Die roll. Brett has two. I have two. Got three from listeners. Brett, go ahead. Yeah, so there is a Chicago's Clown Graveyard. I had to call this out for anybody else like me. The first thing you think of when you see a, a clown graveyard is that's a good start. Um, there is a there's a circus train wreck, and um, basically it's this massive, like eighty six dead. This huge um, mass grave was was buried uh, where a bunch of clowns and circus folk were uh, laid to rest after this massive accident. The, um, all jokes, joking, of course, on, you know, murdering clowns. But anyhow, it's one of those that I read that it's in Chicago. And I think about my bad magic game that's running in Chicago right now. And I could just see this spirits of undead clowns torturing my players. And that just, that sounds cool to me. The other one I have is there is a, (coughs) excuse me, a massive underground cave in, uh, the dense jungles of Vietnam. And this, um, National Park here. Uh, it, it's a really cool article. And the neat thing about this to me is they, when you see this type of thing, you're like, this is on our planet. There's this crazy big fucking cave on our planet that's gigantic. You see the, the photos on here. They're just, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And hardly anybody knows it's there. It's just crazy that something that big could exist and, you know, millions and millions of people not know it's there. So I take that to my fantasy worlds and to my gaming worlds and think how, you know, when somebody says, well, how did no, no one know that this lost dwarven mine was in the mountains? Fuck, there's a huge-ass cave in the jungle. No one knew where it was. Does people go up looking in the mountains for this crap? It's just, it's really interesting to uh, to read these things and just understand how big something can be and be hidden completely in plain sight. Anyway, that's what I had. Your turn, Sean. Uh, who the fuck is my D&D character? A backstory generator. Which I think would be which would be awesome for cons. Like, here's your backstory. Just go to this website, hit refresh, tell me what your backstory is. So I'm on it right now. I'm gonna roll the stats for a fucking conscientious elf monk from a large family who just wants their money back. Then there's a link underneath that says, That sounds fucking terrible. You hit it again. Check this shit out. I'm gonna be a fucking hateful human monk from a nomad circus who's trying to avoid a prophecy. It's this type of Ambitious half-orc sorcerer from Young Offenders Institute who always needs to be the center of attention. Yeah, I mean, this is DCC, man. <laughs> just, just zero level. Totally. Here's, your, here's your backstory. Yeah. This is just awesome. Yeah. It is just awesome. Uh, number two for me, Token Making by Devin Knight. So there's a couple YouTube videos. I posted the link to one, the first one. There is a part two. There is no audio, I don't believe. Um, but shows you how to make, uh, I guess how to is it's kind of because he doesn't narrate a lot of it. He's going through Photoshop, but he's if you watch it and you know Photoshop, um, you could probably come to grips with how to make up some cool tokens for your virtual tabletop. So check that out as a resource as Very the nice. as the VTT realm grows. So from listener's perspective, the Pure Mongrel, he hits us with one. There is a drive through RPG Mythos sale, uh, Lovecraft's birthday. This thing will be going for, I think, 
Oh, about seven more days when this thing drops on what the twenty second, twenty third. So uh, this will be going for a little bit. Go out to Drive Through RPG, take a look. Uh, he also posted a link to the Ultimate Lord of the Rings Hobbit Blu-ray set. This thing looks pretty freaking cool. Um, I just don't have the cash to throw at that, especially if I'm going to be buying, especially if I get it on Invisible Sun, I'll even have less money. Right. And then finally, Matt Bonhoff warns us about giant snakes in Maine. So I can only hope that Roger Braslett and the others who live out there are not eaten by this massive snake that lives in the forest of Maine. That's just one more thing when you when you see that, like this again, like big massive caves that no one knows are there. Huge critters just roaming around, don't belong there, but hey, there they are. That's cool stuff. There you have it. We, we good, man? We are good. Um, we, Brett, uh, what can we ask of listener? Well, I think the first thing we could ask of listeners is, you know, tell someone about the show. If you like what we're doing, if you like what we said, you know, tell people about it. We love uh, good reviews on iTunes. You know, the Patreon page is always nice, but I'll tell you what, just getting spreading the word and uh, having people listen to us. The more listeners, the better feedback we get, the, the cool insights we pull from you guys. So, uh, yeah, keep it coming. Tell those uh, men and women gamers out there about us, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from all soon. Yes. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for everything. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Next week, episode 103, we're going to talk about stealing the plot. I got a little, uh, little something on my sleeve for that one. That should be fun. A plot of land. Exactly, a plot of land. It's mostly uh, land grabbing. It's about it's a land grabs game. Oh, That'll be good. Oh yeah, okay. Excellent. It's like it's it's kind of like Amway, but for land. It'll be fun. Oh, excellent. Multi-level marketing. Exactly. All right, excellent. So uh, for on behalf of and in uh, inclusive of for us, B Gaming <laughs> NBS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all. Gaming and BS produced with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Steve Day, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest DeGary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Old School DM, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason the Beard Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mirko Froelich, Wayne Lumrunner Humfleet, James Carpio, not Caprio, Mark Tasaka, Tony Baker, not so pure mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Brett Pazinski, Corey Johnston, Tim Shorts, Eric Tankar, and Brandon Barnes. Consider becoming a patron. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Whoa. Stop.